In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello, welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Tom Sedlachik, and today we are going to discuss The Batman. We're breaking down the new movie and the board game Gotham Under Siege. Joining me for the discussion today are my amazing wife, Mrs. OIO, Phoenix Sedlachik. Hello. And Dr. C, Casey Aline. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show, guys, and Lady Guy. And <laughs> Did I just call my wife Lady Guy? Yes, he did. <clears throat> sure huh. did. This is an awkward start to the show, but let's just roll with it. All right. <laughs> Casey, you haven't been on the main show since the 80s video game movie show last October. What have you been up to, dude? I've been playing a whole lot of Xbox Game Pass for our other podcast segment. Um, and I've been watching a whole lot of movies and TV. Uh, I got thinking about it, and I've watched The Eternals. I saw Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings. I saw Spider-Man No Way Home. I watched The Book of Boba Fett. I saw Hawkeye. And then, of course, for this show, The Batman. Uh, bottom line, I guess I consume way more uh, small screen and big screen TV than I thought I did. Yeah, well, I'm glad you did because you're going to have a great perspective <laughs> for the show. What do you think of Ten Rings? Uh, I love Ten Rings. It's yeah. it's one of the best Marvel movies I've seen Yay. in a long time. And it's actually like, one of my favorite of all of the recent MCU movies. I totally agree. Yeah, I love the It's film. so good. Yeah, I love how they did it. And it felt so different, but it also felt part of it. So I And it felt super-duper polished. Yeah. Casey, are you a big martial arts movie fan? Um, I mean, I know you love Blade Runner. <laughs> I don't know if I'd like call that. that a martial arts movie, <laughs> but um, I wouldn't say, like, I go above and beyond to, like, seek them out, but I enjoy good martial arts in movies. Like, I like um, that aspects of The Matrix and John Wick and, like, every other so martial arts martial movies arts are white with, dudes? No. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I don't, you know, watch the Japanese, like, I don't go out and watch the Japanese movies just for the mar- martial arts or the, you mm-hmm. know, like that sort of thing. But I do enjoy good martial arts when it's well done in movies. Yeah. So, Phoenix, you have a major affinity for martial arts films. Do you respect Casey's opinion or do you think he's a big poser? No, actually, I have to say I agree. No, be mean to Casey. No, no. That's no. why I brought you here. Oh, let's see, the thing is, if I loved hand-to-hand combat movies especially um i really loved mel gibson's film um payback, payback? yeah I just, i've seen that those, movie casey i just <laughs> i loved those and i gobbled those up and then i started watching a lot of you know the chinese japanese because of the martial arts and hand-to-hand combat so but yeah it's just it's hard to find a satisfying film like payback was because america seminar only does so few of them and you know also, there's so only a handful of actors that really can do that type of stunt work or acting or something. Yeah, the dude who played Spike Spiegel could not do that. No, he couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know like Mel Gibson, he's one of the few that can, you know, get this beat out of him and then, you know, keep oh, going. It's going to be film. a fun show to edit. <laughs> <laughs> so who would have been better as Spike Spiegel? Mel Gibson or uh, John Cho? <laughs> Well, what would have made it a better show? That's a hard one to call because different styles of fighting, but... Um, Mel Gibson, you heard it here first. 
Casey, as someone who watches a lot of movies and a lot of the MCU movies, how was The Eternals? That's a fairly divisive film, right? Uh, What was your impression of it? I did not like The Eternals very much. Um, It had its moments, but overall it just was kind of long and a lot more boring than I was hoping. Yeah, we we haven't seen it. From the trailers, I can tell it's going to be slow, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where the story goes from that movie, but the characters and, and... I wasn't really familiar with the story of the Eternals to begin with. No. Um, but yeah, just overall, it, it it lacked, I don't know, cohesiveness maybe, and just it didn't keep my attention the whole time. I, and there's no reason that a long film should lack cohesion. At the very least, if you're long, yeah. like you should at least explain everything. Yeah, yeah and I... I don't know if they really did that. And I did what we saw it in theaters. I think it might have been one of the first. Well, I think it was the first movie we saw in theaters, like post COVID. Oh, interesting. Um, so that was a cool thing. And I think it did. Like, I would have rather. Like, I'm glad I saw it in theaters versus probably at home on, on HBO because I think it, I really would have probably not liked it on a smaller screen versus the big one. Sure. Sure. Well, how about our first movies back from COVID? Mine was Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage. Nice. <laughs> Shortly after I had nutsack <laughs> surgery. That was an unfortunate weekend all around. <laughs> Phoenix, the last time you were on Outside is Overrated, we savaged one of your favorite IPs when we reviewed the dumpster fire that was the Cowboy Bebop live action show. Is this going to be a more positive show with one of your favorite characters? Yes, it will. Good. That's wonderful. Uh, for me... It feels like all I do is podcasts. Like, everything, all of my entertainment time is spent working on things for the show. Like, I'm playing Horizon Forbidden West. We'll talk about that next month on Outside is Overrated. We've been sampling every Batman, uh, every Batman that there is, and there are quite a few Batman out there. There is, yeah. But, you know, good times. Thanks for listening to Outside is Overrated. Well, no, it's tough. When you're doing a podcast and you're doing once a month, you have to do your due diligence. You have to yeah, consume and we... the media, so... And that's a sacrifice I make for you, our listeners, because I love you. If you're not a supporter on Patreon, please support us on Patreon. Thank you to our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. You can support the show at at patreon.com slash OIO. This is the way that you can support independent content creators like your first OIO family and their friend Casey. You can follow us on social, email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow me at TomSidLogicOIO on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Casey at Dr. Underscore Casey on Twitter. Honey, I don't know your social handles. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Phoenix. You have to spell Phoenix like the city. And then you get to spell Sidlogic on top of it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, it's just like if I answer a phone, people think I'm saying Tina. It's like, no, this is Phoenix from Phoenix, Arizona. To people who get for them to understand but yeah no phoenix law check oio is my instagram yeah i should have uh, i should have remembered that since it's your name and our brand yeah yeah you could have done better honey no good job tom yeah thank you our first (laughs) (laughs) shut up casey (laughs) our first segment today is the batman the batman released on march 4th of this year it has a 72 on metacritic with largely favorable reviews the director is, I didn't write it down, oh my goodness, Matt Reeves? Did I nail it? It's, I don't even remember. I think it's Matt Reeves. I'm thinking Mark Reeves, boom, but boom, I think boom, it's boom, Matt boom. Reeves, yeah. Matt Reeves for the win. Everyone Google this. <laughs> <laughs> stalling, stalling, stalling. 
The titular Batman was played by Robert Pattinson. The Riddler was depicted by Paul, Paul Dano. Dano? I, why do I always do this to myself in the show? I never like look up how you pronounce people's names. <laughs> Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Nailed it. Yes, I'm the greatest podcast host in the world. Catwoman was played by Zoe Kravitz. Lieutenant Gordon was played by Jeffrey Wright. And last but not least, Oswald Cobblepot was played by Colin Farrell. Casey, did you realize that going into the show? Like, I was not aware of it until we were driving home. If he's like, Colin Farrell was really good. I'm like, he was in that movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I wouldn't have known that he was in the movie, there's no way that you would know that that was yeah. Colin Farrell. I no, mean, you the can't makeup tell. on him was just incredible. Yeah. And all my kids, too, because we took my kids to this movie, which I'm not sure was. I mean, it wasn't. Except for a couple swear words and real dark. Yes. Well, your kids range bad, from like 17 to 12? 16 to 10. 16 to That's 10. Not bad, no. Yeah. Yeah. I maybe wouldn't bring a 10 year old. I saw yeah. a friend on Facebook was asked if like someone should bring their nine year old to the film. I'm like, eh, it's a really long film. Like, just a three hour film for a nine year old seems. Oh, interesting. To me, I wouldn't see it. If a 10 year old does okay with thrillers and suspense and doesn't get anxious from it, I wouldn't see an issue with it. Huh. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, you're in charge of the girls in movies, honey. <laughs> my, my little guy did a good job. But yeah, after after we left, we pulled up on the, on the phone like what Colin Farrell actually looks like, and like and yeah. then a picture of him playing the penguin. They were like, "No way!" Like, just couldn't couldn't believe it. Well, it's just he's a great actor. I mean, he does he doesn't get as much credit as he should as an actor. And I mean, he hid himself so well, even even though with the makeup, but his cadence, the way he's talk, he's Irish. So when you hear him on talk shows, he has a very strong Irish accent that he hides, you know, so he's... This is random, but he did Total Recall, right? Like, he did yep. the Total Recall remake? He did yeah, Total I really like Recall. him. He's, um, he did a comedy that I really love in Burgess, which is a great dark comedy. He's... Um, Bullseye he, and Daredevil? Yeah, Bullseye. <laughs> and did, um, um, I reserved the right to go back and rewatch Daredevil, but I didn't mind it. I remember being okay in college. It was okay. I mean, it, that's okay is a good word for it. Yeah, but, Ben Affleck. I mean, he double dipped his superheroes. Well, Bullseye it's fine. was good. I enjoyed Bullseye. I mean, there's other aspects of the film, probably. You know. Yeah, but well, that's Marvel. We're yeah. here to talk about DC tonight. <laughs> In the Batman, you follow a young caped crusader as he tries to unravel the Riddler's nefarious plot. The villain is killing some of Gotham's most notable citizens, including the mayor, the district attorney, and the police commissioner. Each crime is building towards a master scheme. Batman is working with Lieutenant Gordon with official access to crime scenes and evidence. Along the way, Batman encounters Catwoman, the Penguin, and Carmine Falcone. This film is dark, gritty, and long. It is a solid three-hour film. I'm proud of myself. I made it through without peeing. Like, usually we grab a drink at the movie theater. Yeah, like, I can't remember the last Marvel movie that I made it through without having to run to the bathroom. Even my beloved Spider-Man. Yeah, he had to take off, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, Marvel. And we're here to talk about DC. <laughs> Any Batman film starts with the bat. Phoenix, Batman is one of your favorite characters. And like one of your favorite characters, I mean top three? Is yeah, that accurate? Top three. Yep. Archie Goodwin, Sherlock Holmes, and the Bat. Yep. That's quite a top three. You very much like detectives. I do. Very much so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of his portrayal in the film and how was Pattison's performance in particular? Well, I know a lot of people were really iffy with his um with the announcement of him being in the role because sparkly vampires yeah that's all they think about but you know he did what uh jordan uh, joseph gordon lovett did he disappeared did indie films he's come back doing bigger films so he kind of tried to build his acting chops and he's 
built it and I felt like it was an okay choice and I like that he's young because they can really portray a young Batman which they did in the film and you see him he does a great job of being vulnerable in ways you know he's still trying to figure things out he doesn't fly like we're used to seeing he doesn't swing like we're used to seeing you see him pause at the top of the building before he goes for it (laughs) so I mean I think we're truly seeing uh, the a young beginning Batman, like year one from Frank Miller's comics. Christian Bale was older when he did the film. And I mean, he looks youngish, but he truly didn't pull off the essence of a young Batman to me. You know, he didn't have the insecurities that a young Batman would have, you know, and, you know, trying to figure things out. And so I thought his performance was great because... He was more comfortable being in the dark, which, you know, and he just didn't know how to be Bruce Wayne, which he was still trying to figure out. Let me pivot to Casey here. Casey, we've been friends for longer than I've known Phoenix. Well, that's kind of a horrifying (laughs) thought. A little crazy. (laughs) Yeah, a little crazy. Now... I believe you're a huge Twilight fan, right? Like, you uh, you read the books, you memorize every line of those films, right? What do you think of the Pattinson casting? I uh, did not watch Twilight. I, uh, sparkly vampires are not my thing, so I... It's okay if you are. I, We're all friends I, here, Casey. No judgment here. I have not watched did not read the books. I think my wife did, and she's seen all the movies, too, but I just was never on, and like... Okay, what if I put a Twilight show on the agenda for next year? Would you re-watch the movie? If you forced me to watch it, Tom, I probably would watch it. But man, I would not be happy about it. They've been on TV a few times, and I've stopped and paused on it. And the CGI is so awful. I'm like, oh my god, how can anybody watch this? But, those aren't like horribly old films. Like it was like 2010-ish, right? Like it's there. You could definitely Mm -hmm. have made it better. But yeah, like when they go into the werewolf form and stuff that's what i've seen like the werewolves fighting the vampires and my oh it was just terrible so there's just no way i would enjoy it if you made me watch it but if you made me watch it i'm I'm dedicated to the bit amazed you're asking him when you should be asking me and i would say (laughs) no i haven't seen it and read the books because i'm a nonconformist about that type of thing (laughs) all right honey let me put you on the spot you have to choose one to read the books are you gonna read harry potter or twilight I would read Harry Potter, yes. Yeah, Harry Potter was pretty good, but you yeah. push back hard against Harry Potter. I can be a nonconformist when there's a series that everyone says, you got to read, you got to read, you got to read, you got to read. It's like, no, no. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and then you married me. Our children are going to be the most stubborn women on this planet, honey. Yeah. No, I mean, I Harry Potter was big, and then my brother introduced me to Harry Dresden. And so I got sucked into that world, and I just never really... We did a whole show about it. It was yeah, great. It was. That was fun. What the f- were we talking about? Casey. Batman. Robert yeah. Pattinson. <laughs> so yeah, I thought Robert Pattinson was a great Batman. Um, I really wasn't sure what to expect. Like The only other movie that I'd seen him in prior to this was Tenet. So uh, the most recent Christopher Nolan film. And uh, like I said, I didn't watch him in Twilight or anything like that. But uh, he really surprised me in Tenet and kind of blew me away in, in this. Uh, not really sure what to think of emo Batman yet, but uh, as Batman, I think he was really, or emo Bruce Wayne, I think I said Batman, but emo Bruce Wayne, but as as Batman, I think he was uh, really, really good. I think he was perfect. I find it kind of interesting with the emo, because, you know, a lot of the Batman films and the anime and the comic books, they always make him squeaky clean coming off of a crime scene, where you would be dirty, grimy, you know, so it's just, in ways, it seems... 
normal-ish because he hasn't quite cleaned himself off of the makeup. You know? And um, it kind of fit with the theme and the visual style of the movie. Like, if you were to take him and, like, plop him down in office space, he'd look very out of character there. Yes, he but would, he yeah. really fit in the uh, style that they were shooting for with Gotham. It's just interesting. The one picture that they like to show of Patterson with the eye makeup smudge and stuff is just, to me... I think I used that on Twitter tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah. He looks just like Brandon Lee in The Crow, so I feel like he could do The Crow film if he wanted to, but it's just, he had... It just looks like Brandon Lee. It's kind of crazy. I've so. never seen The Crow. Oh, really? You yeah. See it. Yeah, yeah gonna... don't tell me what to do, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about add, this. Add it to your list. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Pattinson was an interesting choice. It was kind of a theme with the casting for the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Out of all the actors that we listed, I think Colin Farrell is the only like name actor in there. And looking back traditionally at Batman films, there are a lot of big name actors. Like Keith Ledger may not have been... A headliner, but he was certainly an accomplished actor when he was the Joker. Tom Hardy was a legitimate actor when he played Bane. Michael Keaton was not very established. Well, but see, that's the thing. With the Batman films, it's kind of interesting. You have uh, Tim Burton came out and says, I'm casting Michael Keaton. Everyone blew a wad because he was a stand-up comedian. It's like, what the hell are you doing, Tim Burton? Why are you hiring a comedian to be Batman? And it worked out well. Same thing with Heath Ledger. Everyone just was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Why are you casting Heath Ledger as Joker? And everyone says, you know, no one should play Joker since then. But, you know, it, it just it seems to happen with the Batman films a lot. So Yeah, that's true. I, for a cast without a lot of name recognition, they were really, really good. Well, everyone was incredible. It's just it's hard to pinpoint a weak character or a weak actor in this film. And then you have to say the writing and the directing was just really well done, you know, because you can have a good director, but a weak writing. So, I mean, everything together. Yeah. Kind of sunk together. One of the things that struck me about this film was that it was more of a detective story than a superhero story. No one involved had any supernatural abilities. It was a battle of wits, leverage and resources. Casey, were you a fan of this more grounded approach? Yeah, I was. The, The whole film film felt real to me. Sometimes Batman is almost too gimmicky and it's just not as believable. Everyone knows that Batman has his toys, but this version felt like it could actually be a real person. Uh, I thought Bale did a good job, but things like pulling fingerprints off a shattered bullet or getting plucked out of a building by an airplane, although cool, just really take away from the realism. And I think it's something, uh, that I really, really appreciated about this movie. That plane was, thing was real, dude. The CIA used it. Like, sure, I'm sure they did. Real thing. I'm sure they did. Real thing, dude. <laughs> it's history. Phoenix, I think that you were, as a fan of pulp detective fiction, I think that this tone really hit a home run with you. Uh, it did. I mean, I went back and, like, you know, I was trying to consume every comic as I could leading up to the show. Um, when Batman was created, it was created at the height of Pulp Fiction detective stories. And he carried a gun. He used a gun in the first comics. Until Robin came on the scene, they took away the gun. But each story you read, even with the Joker, it was your typical detective Pulp Fiction. And I enjoyed what they did because they brought it back to the the roots of the um, Batman. But I love the grittiness that they did because it did feel real. It didn't feel... Like, stuff was out of touch, as some of the Batmans have made it seem. So 
I agree with you. In general, I don't want superhero movies to move in this direction. Like, I don't want Spider-Man to be more gritty and grounded and rooted in reality. I like Spider-Man just fine how he is. But in this case, I thought the story was layered, and they did just an incredible job of peeling away the layers. I had no idea where it was going to go. Many other mysteries that we can assume have red herrings, and like, eventually, through sheer process of elimination, I can usually guess what the ending or the hook is. Yeah. The Batman... Uh, it really left us, or at least me, fumbling in the dark, and I appreciated that. Yes. Been singing a lot of praises for the Batman already. This is a remarkably well done film. I thought it would be interesting to take a couple of moments to talk about the performances that stood out to us. Phoenix, you're the Batman <laughs> historian. <laughs> the floor is yours. Well, um, you know, like I said, everyone did an incredible job. You know, you could talk about Penguin, but he was kind of a small role in ways in the film to fully devolve. I mean, I chose Alfred because you really can't have Bruce Wayne or Batman without Alfred. And so when they have to cast and do the, a film about Batman, they need an actor or two actors that play against each other that can pull off the Alfred and Bruce Wayne Batman combo and i'll interrupt you for just a second alfred in this film was played by andy circus yes. who i think is one of the most fascinating people in entertainment yeah no he's very interesting he chooses roles um he's he doesn't after Gollum, he just didn't throw himself out there like other actors do to try to be big try to be you know the next big thing he's seems to be strategic and you know and it's it's hard to recognize him because you're used to you never saw him as Gollum, you know, the real him. But mm -hmm. so He was in the MCU. He played an arms dealer yeah. in, uh, which film was that? Avengers 2, Age of Ultron? He, played, he was in a yeah, couple movies, actually. I think he was in one of the Black Panther movies yeah, as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, well, One of, I guess there was only one Black yeah, Panther movie. But <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was in the Black Panther yeah. movie. But no, yeah, it, he's an accomplished actor, and I think he's incredible in... I was surprised by the choice when I heard it, but seeing him play up against Robert, I thought they played the duo so well. Alfred, and in this instance, what made Alfred stand out so significantly to you? He, it was subtle. They didn't um, put it into the forefront, um, but Alfred, you know, he dropped hints here and there that you find out that he was in the intelligence, so he helped Batman figure out the coding. He, um, you know, we find out that he helped him with um, training with um, Bruce Wayne as he was trying to learn a little bit. So you he find was also a bodyguard for Thomas, wasn't he? In ways, yeah. He hinted that he was technically somewhat of a bodyguard. So you know that Alfred has training, which he does in the comics. You know, you find out in the comics that he he's the medic to Batman. He's the um, he taught Bruce. He, you know. Uh, helps him with clues and intelligence and stuff so in in this portrayal it was you didn't get the full picture of Alfred but you got to see pieces of it and Andy Serkis did a wonderful job doing that and the biggest thing is that hospital scene between the two actors um I really enjoyed watching the two actors themselves play at their strength talking about um the fear of losing and Robert talking about he thought he was done feeling that feeling but it came back and you know at the beginning of the film they're kind of button heads a little bit but they kind of come together cohesively at that point in the hospital and I'm sure if they do another film we'll see them more together as a unit 
Because he, baby Batman grew the frick up yeah. and stopped being an emo kid. Yeah, Casey, so. I think you had a point to make yeah. on well, Alfred. I just think it's interesting. Go back to the uh, like the medical aspect and like the all that. Like Alfred's always kind of been the father figure to Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the Nolan series, it's interesting that they kind of created or had a completely separate character to take care of the medical aspect and the tech and like all this oh, other that's stuff. Right, yeah. Like they, Lucius was was that. Yeah, that's and, true. And Alfred was just like the father figure that he had. So it's it's interesting that they went back to the, like, the roots of what Alfred is supposed to be in, in this one. No, you're right. And it's just like, that's what I was going to talk about was like, um, Michael Caine's portrayal of Alfred. It's good, but it's just not true to what the comics were. And um, Jeremy Irons actually is probably the closest that we'll see at this point, unless Andy, you know, in the next film. Because you see Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons was in the Ben Affleck DC multiverse films as Alfred. Yeah, you know, he's the conscious voice of Batman trying to, I don't know how to, what was he Keep Batman from going too dark Dark, or going too deep down his violence or meanness. Yeah, and he was repairing stuff for Batman. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do with his character and what Andy does with it because, you know... I think it's a very important character that needs to be developed if they continue. And I will say unequivocally that I prefer Andy Serkis as an actor and not as a director. Oh, yes, (laughs) I know. (laughs) See also our Venom show last November. (laughs) Casey, you wanted to focus on Lieutenant Gordon, one of the most iconic characters in the entire Batman universe. Yeah, there were a ton of really, really good performances in this movie, like Phoenix said, but I, I thought Jeffrey Wright nailed his performance as Lieutenant Gordon. And I don't know if I've seen Jeffrey Wright in anything else. Oh, really? He's, He's... in a ton. Like, I actually yeah. looked up his IMDb when, when I chose him just to kind of go back and see, and I was like, um, he's, I don't get into this, but like, he's an extremely versatile actor. He actually started out in Broadway, um, and that's mostly where he... It is got, hard to picture that man on yeah. Broadway. Um, and, but then, like he he did, he transferred into some like smaller films, and then eventually, um, I think his trying to think of the the big first film. It wasn't what I was going to talk about, but like how I know him first was from Casino Royale. He played a character named Felix in the in the James Bond movie. Um, but what I really really got to know him is was um, in, in the Westworld series. He played a character named Bernard, who is one of the main um protagonist in that and actually like he plays several characters i don't if people are watching westworld they should it's it's actually i think it's a really really good series i've never seen kind of drawn on and and long but bernard in this he's and and the way that jeffrey wright plays that character is he's he's phenomenal He's, he's he's by far and away one of my favorite characters in that in that show so seeing him play not a similar character, but kind of there, there are some similarities to that in, in Batman. It just like, I, I think he was cast perfectly for this. And I know when he was originally cast, there was some pushback, not because it was acting chops, but because he's a black man, he's an African American male. And, you know, God forbid having somebody black play a traditionally white character. Mm-hmm. And when this character was originally written, Batman was written in the 1930s. Well, yeah. you couldn't even have higher position jobs on the police force as a, as a person of color in the 1930s. So mm-hmm. duh, that's why it was probably originally written as a white person. So thank God times are changing and thank God that, uh, 
you know, African-American people, people of color have more opportunities now. And thank God that cinema is finally branching out and casting people in the, in these roles as well, because Jeffrey, uh, he said he's just, his his versatility as an actor is fantastic. And I just think he crushed the part. I thought it was really interesting how they bring him into the film. It's very, very early in the film. And he actually brings Batman into a crime scene. So they already have an established relationship. They don't go into the that backstory at all, which I thought was interesting. Like they have, some form of relationship enough that Gordon trusts him in a city full of corrupt cops. And that's kind of where the film takes off. No, I truly enjoy Jeffrey Wright. He's a character actor and he nails a Gordon well. And he, and I love what about this, what I love about this film is the relationship they portray between Gordon and Batman in this film. I mean, they do portray it in the Bale film, Christian Bale films, but I felt if, Going off a little bit of memory, but it was more of acquaintance type friendship versus, you know, a trust friendship that Jeffrey Wright and um, Patterson are starting with this Batman. Because I think in the Bale film, um, he sneak he brings Batman in after the police are gone, where this Gordon, he actually brings them in when they just find the body for him to look at the crime scene and so and you get to see a realistic reaction of cops when a grown man dressed as a bat is brought yes. into their crime scene that was really interesting yeah yeah and so i feel like they've uh, with jeffrey wright and the way they're taking this direction i think they're doing an excellent job of showing gordon and his friendship and relationship with Batman as it develops and the trust that they are starting to build. And I appreciated that they didn't have to show us every single snapshot on the way to that history. We didn't have to have a long flashback in an already long movie. Like they trusted us to realize, okay, they have a relationship. All right. There's something there. And this is where the film takes off. And one way that you knew that um, Gordon truly trusted Batman was that he didn't question Batman when he found out that there's dirty cops. And that his friend, the commissioner, was one of those. He he pushed back a little bit, but he didn't completely, fully accepted what Batman was telling him. So I thought that was very key to his trust in Batman. So. And speaking of not doing more flashbacks, I swear to God, if I have to see Thomas Wayne get shot one more time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Spider-Man being bitten by the spider. Like, we get it. We know, we know what form this character. We know character. the origin story. We've seen it <laughs> yeah. three, four times yeah. in three or four different Batman movies. Yeah. We, we get it. <laughs> Let's get on to the villains. Speaking of villains, I thought Zoe Kravitz did an incredible job portraying Catwoman. She wasn't necessarily a hero or a villain. She's a strong woman fighting for a purpose. While previous incarnations of the character have primarily focused on hotness, Michelle Pfeiffer and Anne Hathaway come to mind, I thought Kravitz was an incredible mix of both fighting ability and sensuality. She had a charisma to her that absolutely lived up to the Catwoman legacy, but she was also very capable in all the other scenes. She held her own in hand-to-hand combat with the bat. Yeah, I mean, just watching her ability to swing down from the stairwells in the alley, it just shows her agility and movement that is shown in the comic books. And in the comic books, she toes the line she's not very not necessarily that evil but you know she does things she's nuanced i really like that yeah she's nuanced in the comic books and they nailed it perfectly in the film i thought with her nuance and another thing i wanted to note like i don't know if she had a stunt double or not but they didn't cut away a lot during her fight scene so it wasn't there were no jarring transitions where you definitely knew that it wasn't her performing any of the actions. Well, with any of the fight scenes, they didn't cut away at all. I mean, they there's the one scene where he's fighting in the dark, but I mean, they did close-ups on and 
very realistic fight scenes too so yeah and that's i'm gonna keep going back to it but this it was believability like everything yeah. when i was watching this movie i'm like that could actually happen yeah. this is this is real and i think that's like you said like they don't cut away from people it's like well, well duh because the fighting is not that over the top it's very simple but very mm -hmm. well done very precise and it's it's believable it's yeah. you could actually see somebody doing that and not having to use advanced weaponry and tech to to get one over on the bad guys i would say the fighting was very stylized but they did it through cinematography and not through special effects so like yeah. there's a scene outside of an elevator that comes to mind for me they use strobe lighting with it to kind of make batman's actions look herky jerky but it looked very realistic and cool but very real yeah well it's just that's the th thing with the batman universe a lot of it you know they have guns but a lot of it is hand-to-hand -hand combat and so you have to portray that in the film and like i was saying in the theater it's like he's he's not superman he can just fly away come back in punch fly away come back and punch you know batman is unique in his what he does and you know hand-to-hand -hand combat is what he does so and they portrayed it very very well and it wasn't just batman like zoe kravitz held her own I thought she was wonderful. Another standout performance was Paul Dano as the Riddler. He was the main antagonist in the film. Phoenix, we just watched Batman forever. How did Dano can perform compared to Jim Carrey? <laughs> <laughs> you guys laugh. You laugh, but I thought that there was some value to... What film am I talking about? Batman Forever. And I thought that Jim Carrey, once he had the suit on and they stopped doing the stuff with his dorky hair, like... I didn't mind him as the Riddler. Like, I, there were elements of his performance that I liked. No, I mean, that's the thing. It's like he almost came like the traditional Riddler that you kind of see in the cartoons. Um, especially if anyone's watched the HBO Harley Quinn. He kind of reminds me of the Riddler from that show. But um, Also, that show was awesome. Yeah, it is. Jim Carrey does a fantastic job, and you can see why they hired him to do the role. And it they did it what it was seen in the comics and everything with this with paul uh, version of the riddler they really made it more realistic darker but they stayed true to the character in the comics because he grew up loving riddles he loved doing riddles as a kid all the way through he had them all scribbled out in his apartment you know and even through the mystery, you had all these small riddles everywhere, all encompassing this huge, big riddle. They all and, funneled back into the main yeah. central theme. And, and he was challenging Batman to try to see the big picture. Yep. And so it's just, I think, even though the costume wasn't what we traditionally expect from the Riddler, I thought they kept true to the character. They kept true to his essence with how his personality and the way he did his riddles. You mentioned the costume. I initially thought he was Bane. Because like, <laughs> he puts in like a canister or something and then like he beats a dude to death. I'm like, oh, I thought Riddler was supposed to be the villain, but all right. I, yeah, I wonder if Bane's going to get bigger, if he's just going to be this scrawny guy the whole film. Yeah, I mean, they just really focused on more his insanity and disconnect with the world i don't know in this yeah. one versus versus the the comic-y kind of over the top stuff like mm -hmm. they just they, they really focused in more on his in, insanity and and that was something that really obviously went well i think with the darkness and some of the things that go along with this movie and then eventually like he's out of the costume and he just looks like this pasty-faced white boy yeah it's really interesting i thought that 
he looked, if you remember the old Apple commercials where the guy's like, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. I thought he looked like the PC from that, like this big <laughs> dopey dude. Well, I mean, it's, I think that's the point. I mean, and he brings that point home about the masks, you know, Batman wears the mask to portray fear. You know, if Riddler was doing what he was doing without his costume, would people fear him? as much you know the costume brings the fear as well it's a good point two additional points here phoenix did you know that paul dano is in two films you love no nope. cowboys and aliens and night and day really he was also in a film i love the girl next door was he in girl next door yeah he was the uh, nerdy friend really who wound up doing the uh sex education film oh <laughs> okay that'll be fun to rewatch some of those to see him yeah, well, fun. Uh, but a serious <laughs> point related to what we're talking about here. Do you think the Riddler knows who Batman truly is? Phoenix, this is a point that you brought up in our discussions leading up to the film. So let's start with Casey. Do you think the Riddler knows who Batman really is? I don't think so. I think... I don't I don't think it's going to spoil too much, but there's... Yeah, I won't explain. It's not a spoiler. I, I won't say a... what the scene is, but like it, it's there is a scene in that where the Batman you could tell is is really like worried that he's going to expose him for who he is, and then I feel like he would have at that moment exposed him if he actually truly knew. And I think you could see the look on on Bruce's face, on Pattinson's face, like, oh, I'm safe for now, and like I that just came over me like, okay, he really doesn't because I think like the way they portray it. If he would have known, I think they wouldn't have shown that expression on on Batman's face. I think that he knew in that moment that he's still safe, that his identity is, is still hidden. Phoenix, do you agree with Casey? Well, see, that's the same thing I thought, too, watching the film. And I thought And the then same you got thing. smarter, and... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, I was watching some videos, and a lot of people are bringing up the point, which not re- I haven't read all the comics, but... The Riddler figures out who Batman is in the comics and he does not reveal it because it's the biggest riddle and he is delighted that he's the only one that knows the answer to that riddle. So a lot of people are theorizing that he starts to sort of seem like he knows the answer to, um, uh, ten, um, can't think of the word, but tease Patterson with it to make him think that he knows but then switches the conversation quickly to the next topic. So then Batman thinks, oh, he's safe. Hmm. And he keeps the secret to himself because it is, to him, the greatest riddle. And he gets to hold on to it. I was initially with Casey, but that is a very thought-provoking point of view. Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested to see how that plays out in future films. Because I guess in the comics, he knows that Bruce is Batman and he never reveals it, even though when he's confronting batman and fighting him and stuff so interesting so. i guess we'll have to see hopefully yes. the next movie doesn't take too long to come out <laughs> gotham city is perhaps the most iconic fictional city in popular media did any part of the setting for the batman surprise you evidently it rains a lot in gotham city <laughs> well, <that's- laughs> maybe gotham city seattle <laughs> like every, every every scene and like I love this movie, but I thought it was just funny. I'm like, man, it is really raining there. And then the next scene, it is still raining. <laughs> Maybe that's why Batman wears a cape. Maybe it's to stay dry. <laughs> Keep the water off. Of no, he doesn't want to carry an umbrella. That'd be really inconvenient. Yes. That's why Penguin carries one. Um, the 
I thought Gotham in the film was the best version of Gotham we've seen in film. I mean, I know Nolan tried to create a more realistic city, but it felt too much like a normal city in ways rewatching the film. It's just like, oh, feels like that's just down the street in Minneapolis in ways where Matt Reeves has taken and made it grittier and dirtier and what we expect when we hear about Gotham because Gotham, even in Batman versus Superman, when Batman and Superman are talking, it's like Batman is saying it's darker, you know, it's more dark than you realize. And reading the uh, comic book Hush with Catwoman, she's complaining that Metropolis is just too bright. Even at night, it's like sunshine. And she likes Gotham where it's dark and there's no sun. There's just... And she can go to work. Yes. But... I think this is an interesting difference between us and movies. I think you pay a lot more mind to the surroundings of films. I remember something you said in the Cowboy Bebop show. You talked about how distracting it was for you that it looked like they were in like a typical English village and not out in space. Well, I guess to me, if a film can really um, betray, because the background is part of the story, and if it can blend into the story, but also accentuate the story, then they're doing a well, a job, doing their job well. But with Cowboy Bebop, it's like, why are they flying through England and landing in a canal town? It's just, yeah, it was just too dark, right? I didn't really notice it. Oh, really? Oh, well, I guess I watch a lot of British, and to me, it's like, oh, that looks like that British village and this British show that I watched. But it occurs to me how little I pay attention to the background. Oh, like, really? Maybe my focus is just broken, because like, we've talked about this with subtitles. If subtitles are on, I am not watching the movie. I am reading the movie, and literally <laughs> anything could be happening on the screen. There could be 15 Gal Gadot's up there, and I'm paying attention only to the I words. I find that fascinating, because when I watch subtitle films, I see the words, but like... A third once i'm third in i don't see him anymore and i my brain is making it seem like they're skimmer. speaking skimmer <laughs> yeah. you skim the words i I, I pay a lot of attention to each and every word each uh, one gets burned directly into my brain you're a writer i just skim <laughs> but um no i mean i felt like the city is part of the character of batman you know and why he's constantly fighting this fight against crime you know and in the Bale version, it's just when he went and confronted um, Falcone. Falcone wasn't that scary to me in that movie. And the town didn't seem that dark and gritty and crime-ridden, where this film really betrayed it very well to me. So. Having just rewatched that scene uh, from Batman Begins, I have a different take on falcone like yeah i i thought that he was a bad bad man in that film and like he immediately just got my hackles raised well i can see the hackles raised but to me he wasn't as scary as you know i don't know something about the setting in the diner just wasn't to me fitting to that type of character so and i thought it was perfect like he was in his element all the (laughs) rich important people were there True. Yeah. yeah. Well, differing viewpoints are good. Yep. <laughs> Coming back to The Batman, this film, like we said, was at its core a detective story. Phoenix, you have a deep love for mysteries and detectives. What did you observe from this portrayal of the Dark Knight and his detective skills? I thought it was great. I mean, you see him as a learning as he goes. Um, he He's smart, and that's part of something that I think isn't portrayed as well in live action films um 
you know, he's quick, he's smart, he figures things out. But as any true detective, he kind of deduced wrongly at some points and then he had to backtrack and which happens in your traditional mysteries but you know to me I thought they portrayed it very well of his development as a detective he knows what he's doing he's very smart and he's very observant which I thought they portrayed very well especially that quick little scene where he's at the crime scene and he's walking around and he notices something and he looks down and then walks away and the crime photographer comes up and goes, oh, I should be taking pictures of that. <laughs> you know, I thought they did a really, really good job of showing his skills of being observant. But it was cool with the context, too, um, that he had a camera. So he was able to go back through. So, Well, let me pick at that for a moment. He has these contacts in his eyes that record everything so he can go back and rewatch everything later. You have been critical of my beloved Peter Parker for having a suit that was too technologically advanced in the Tom Holland series. Well, because the not con- even the same thing. No, it's not. is it because the contact lens didn't <laughs> talk to him? The contact lenses are in the comics. Peter Parker is not supposed to have an Iron Man suit. See, to me, Spider Man <laughs> is based off of his ability to—he's sort of like Batman, but he has his super only better. <laughs> that big <laughs> um, you know he's like Batman that he has to do hand to hand combat but he can swing away he has some superpowers that help him but he doesn't have to rely on technology where I thought Holland because of the Iron Man suit they kind of focus too much on the technology of being like Iron Man versus what Spider-Man truly could be and so I thought it took away from the essence of Spider-Man in a sense. So. I agree with that. I, I thought that. I agree with Phoenix, but disagree with Casey Vanderlei. <laughs> <laughs> Those contacts were a cool thing. Let's talk about the technology. Uh, I and, think Casey was playing. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? No. I, oh, I, I, I think... No. It, uh, other than the fact that, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I, I thought that from the second that they started introducing the Iron Man tech to the spider suit, I was like, this just doesn't feel right to me. There's the, yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man's supposed to be Spider-Man, not Iron Man. Yeah, I, I didn't know if you had a point with the contacts or... No, um, no I think we're yeah. about to kind of get into some techie stuff oh, here. Yeah. And, that, and that's the one thing that, I guess... I've got a great movie, transition. In, in, in this movie, this was the, it was the only like real big tech. The rest yeah, of it was... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Batman is renowned in all media for his use of technology. He needs it because he doesn't have superpowers. This Batman took a low-tech approach to the bat. Was that a hindrance for you, Casey? No, I loved the simplicity of the tech in this movie. Uh, As I mentioned before, sometimes the tech in previous movies made it, to me, seem unrealistic. This movie, it was mostly simple. Grappling hooks, bulletproof armor. It was a refreshing change from Nolan's series to me. Um... Even the Batmobile, fairly simple. Uh, really, you know, it's just the, the engine, the armor, bulletproof glass. There weren't any guns. And Phoenix pulled up something pretty interesting on the Batmobile. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> it was based on a novel by a popular oh, yeah, fiction sorry. writer. Thank you. Well, it... Matt Reeves took a lot from other films, you know, like Halloween. He took from Halloween at the beginning, looking through the eyes of Jason when he kills his victims for the Riddler and stuff. Um, But it turns out his, um, uh, 
Batmobile? Inspiration. <laughs> His inspiration for the Batmobile and how to introduce it was from the film Christie, the Stephen King novel about the car that oh. is... Um, Sentient? Uh, possessed by a demon that goes, it haunts its victims and it hides in the shadows and then it turns its lights on and goes after them like crazy. And it's indestructible and so it can reform itself back into its new shape. So he, I guess, was very influenced by that film, he said, when he was thinking about the Batmobile and introducing it. And I have to say, I loved that scene when... Penguin is standing there, and all of a sudden you hear that sound, and that's what they do. They do such a great job with fear in this film, and the sounds that they used is incredible. Especially the introduction of um, Batman just walking through the shadows; all you hear is the sounds. But I just loved how they introduced the Batmobile. It was just—it was really cool. And having yeah. just watched a lot of these films, where the Batmobiles range from super dopey with like rubber wings on the roof to <laughs> the tank in the Nolan films. I loved, loved this approach. Casey, you had a note here that I'm going to seal your thunder on. A lot of the times in this movie, Batman is pursuing someone and his vehicle of choice for that isn't like a Rolls Royce. It isn't the Batmobile. It's a dumpy old motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, I don't know if I can say dumpy. It was, it's a Harley <laughs> Davidson. It's what it is. It's a souped up Harley Davidson. Um, and and the, the car is, is a Dodge Charger. That's what it is. But it's a Dodge Charger that he himself modified <laughs> with a kick-ass engine and a few other mm-hmm. upgrades but nothing like like you said like you in other movies it's not yeah. jumping across rooftops and exploding and shooting oh, guns out of the front you know it's it's just simple it's fear it's exactly what it's supposed to be i think That's, in a batmobile i mean like with the nolan film with the motorcycle it's just over the top with the spinning wheels as he yeah. drives oh, and he pulls out so that, much and he pulls out that big gun and shoots at one it's like why are you carrying a huge <laughs> gun to you know it's just you try and tech for the hell of it or what but it's just um it's a compensation technique honey. <laughs> but like you know casey's saying you know it's like throughout the film if you pay attention on his table is the parts for the car at the beginning you see the parts of the car as he's trying to build it and everything is so homemade with him and someone brought up the point that the thing that he clicks off is made from parts of guns, symbolizing that he is, you know, using, um, breaking down guns and using them as his choice of weapon versus using the gun. And they said even, you know, all the homemade, the suit seems homemade, everything, you know, where again, like other Batmans, I don't know, I guess we don't see it with Keaton, but Bale... He relies on his company yeah, to give no, him the parts. No Wayne Enterprises in this in this movie. I think that every Batman film since Keaton has been hampered by the line the Joker cried out, where does he get those wonderful toys? I think every single film yeah. has been influenced by that single line. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I think, you know, tech is it's part of who he is. You know, it helps him try to compete with the supernatural beings that are around him. But his smarts also help with that, too. But I thought they did a great job making the tech a part of him without making it so in our face, you know. And two more points I want to bring up here. First, Casey, you mentioned that he has bulletproof armor, and they certainly put that to the test in the film. One of my few complaints with this film is there are a lot of bullets flying around. I think it's highly unlikely that he wouldn't catch one in the face or the head at some point through the entirety of this film, especially the final showdown with the Riddler's Goods. That was the only part of this film that I thought was a little bit silly. 
Maybe, and I guess they never showed him getting hit directly in the the head, so I guess the head covering itself could be, which would just leave his nose and mouth area that would be affected. So the odds of that area getting hit, probably a lot smaller. However, they did a great job, though, of it's not like he was completely immune to the bullets. Mm -hmm. You could tell they were hurting him. And especially, like, not spoiling anything, but he takes a shotgun blast in that one scene, and... He is a hurting unit yes. after that. <laughs> so, like, it, it's not like he's completely immune to what's going on. I think they, again, the realism in this film just kind of blew me away. Yeah. Let me poke at another thing here. There was a particular injury in this film that he seemed to shrug off remarkably well. I'm wondering if part of that is from editing, though. I'm that could have been. Because you know. generally, I thought they did a good job portraying the different nicks that come along with being a caped vigilante in Gotham City. And I oh my goodness, my words are failing me. Maybe I should have more wine. <laughs> but like, there's a point where like he takes a huge tumble, ends up on a bus and like crashes into a sign. And like he just staggers off. And then he's fine right after that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I thought that was going to have more of an impact. I, I thought they were going to do that too. But I thought, um, you know, again, editing, you know, the Zack Snyder's films kind of. We're victim to editing, so it could have been an editing this issue. This is a three-hour film. I, well, I mean, who knows what we'll get with deleted scenes. You yeah, know? maybe it could have been a 20-hour film. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, the interesting part is that someone brought up, it's just, I wonder what type of film this would have been if it wasn't hampered with a PG-13 rating. If he could have gotten an R rating to this film, you know. I think there would have been boobs in it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Because they came close to boobs. Yeah, they did. What happened after that scene? I remember the scene, but did he go somewhere? Did he? he did walked, they cut to? Did he like go to meet with Gordon right after he that? He walked down an alley, so you there's been some time frame because you don't know how soon he met up with Gordon. Because I'm sure Gordon would have been held up at the precinct for a while before he met up with Batman. So yeah, yeah, still just rubbed me the wrong way. But coming back to the tech and the other, the serious point that I wanted to make with all of these homegrown pieces and just fragments of the technology that you expect Batman to have, it leaves room for Batman to grow. And I think that's yeah. something that this film did exceptionally well in many aspects. There's room for Bruce Wayne to grow. There's still room for the Batman to grow. In a three-hour film, they told an incredible story, but there's still room for more. And I really appreciate how well they yeah. accomplished that. They did. For sure. Well, I've already aired all of my grievances for this film. Is Are there any other areas with this film that you struggled with or anything you'd like to see next time around? Phoenix, this is one of your favorite characters. We both enjoyed this film quite a bit. Were there any, were there any issues you had with it? It's hard for me to say because I really can't say because a lot of things I could think of, it's like it could be in the next film, you know. And, you know, well, then what do you hope is in the next film? What are you looking forward to next out of? Well, there's a lot of sprinklings throughout the film, you know. It's like this: how the city needs Bruce Wayne. And it's interesting how they you have Alfred telling uh, Wayne, Bruce, look, the accountants are coming. You have to meet with them. And then you find out. And then out the emo that, kid says, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you find out later in the movie. If Bruce had been more aware of his finances and been mean with the accountants, he could have maybe, maybe... Uncovered the financial, financial underpinnings that were running through this entire movie. That's yes. a great point, love. I mean, so I'm hoping that maybe they will portray more that Bruce gets this awakening. He has to realize, oh, I need to be more diligent in my persona of Bruce as well as Batman. He's more comfortable as Batman, but... 
He needs Alfred to help him to become more Bruce. And that's what I'm hoping. And it'll be wonderful to see him become more confident and do more of the tricks that you see in the comics. And so... And Casey, I see you wrote a lot on this point on the show notes, but I'm just going to ignore all of that and say <laughs> you're looking forward to some magic and some unicorns in the next one, huh? Yeah, I want to see uh, shiny vampires in the next one. <laughs> That's what I want to see. You know, I, I, it's basically, a lot of what Phoenix just mentioned as well is that I'm really interested to see where uh, Pattinson's version of Bruce Wayne goes. I, I think this movie, more than anything other, can uh, concentrated a lot on the Batman version. Uh, and not so much on Wayne. There was very little of Bruce Wayne in this movie. Yeah. And I agree. This film felt like a three-hour journey to learn that kicking just wasn't enough. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And I just, I don't know if the reason they did that in this movie was because that played into Pattinson's strengths. Like, I think he was fantastic as a Batman. Um, but if it was, or if, if that was just the intention, because maybe he wasn't as good in outside of the Batman as Bruce Wayne. So, and like... Phoenix said they hinted in the movie that Gotham needs Bruce Wayne. So in future installments, it's going to be really interesting to see if we get more Bruce Wayne and if Pattinson can pull that off. Well, and that's the thing. Like, um, you know, at the beginning of the film, when he says, I'm vengeance, and he says that a couple times through the film, at the end, when he jumps into the water, it symbolizes, you know, like a baptism. He's cleansing himself, realizing that vengeance isn't the answer anymore. He has to, and that's the whole... Uh, voiceover of him at the top of the building talking about Gotham needs hope now. And so he, you see the growth to that point where he has now become, realizes he needs to grow as an individual to become hope and let go and not be vengeance anymore. And so I thought, you know, they did a great job portraying that. And it'll be interesting to see again, if they do a second film, how they portray that into the character and the film and the storyline. If they don't do a second film, I'm going to lose my GD mind. And I guess one piece um, I forgot to bring up is I, what I love about the film is that they, the voiceover at the beginning of him talking about Gotham and fear and everything. Anytime you crack open a new Batman film, Batman film comic you have his internal dialogue on every single piece and him talking about Gotham and what, you know, and what he's thinking and what everything. So I thought they did a great job of doing that. And they were able to have that exposition without giving him a magic suit that talks to yes, him. Yes, they did. <laughs> Suck on that, MCU. <laughs> I totally agree with you guys on Bruce Wayne and seeing how he grows in the future installments. I'm also very interested to see how other Batman villains fit within this grounded setting. Yeah, I I'd caught in an interview, and supposedly Matt Reeves would like to tackle Mr. Freeze. He loves Mr. Freeze, and so it would be interesting to see him take that role. But a lot of people say because of the Joker at the end of the film, the pair-up between the Riddler and Joker would be unbelievable because of both you have Riddler's mind games with his, with his riddles, and then you have the Joker's brutality. And those two together, it would be an interesting combo, so... And I love the actor who oh, they really? really have pinned for him. Um, he's, again, not a very well-known actor, so it fits into this this world. But every single role that I've seen him in in past movies, he's phenomenal. So oh, okay. it should be pretty yeah. awesome. It'll be interesting to see how they portray the realistic makeup for him as far as, you know. Yeah, because with Heath Ledger, it was more 
the painting, right, that they use for the lips. Because I know with Jack Nicholson, they kind of shape the lips. Um, so I just, it'll be interesting to see what they do if they bring the Joker in. Yeah. You can definitely tell in that scene that he has some facial scarring and, and things. That's true. So yeah. it'll it'll be Yeah, that's be true. You did wild. see his cheeks a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So it'll be interesting. So. They're going to make another film. Hope so. Fine. Well, I mean, it's doing well as far as I've heard. I mean, people, reviews and everything, I think it's doing quite well. So, Final thoughts and takeaway on the Batman. Casey? I love the film. Uh, prior to this, I didn't think the Dark Knight could actually be beat, and I'm still not sure I'm ready to put this movie above that. But I honestly can't say that it's worse either. I I love both those movies. I think they were both A+. Uh, and this really surprised me. I love the realism. I love the darkness of the film. And I'm really, really excited to see where they take it in the future. Hopefully, please, please, please make another movie. Yes. <laughs> um, it's one of those films that stuck with me. I kept thinking about three days after we saw the film. So when a movie does that, you know they've done a great job. And Is that and, because we were furiously watching other Batman movies and consuming as no, many comics as we just, could? It just pops up. And every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, yeah. And it'll be fun. I think it's a movie that is rewatchable because there is so much Easter eggs in the films. Because people have talked about if you actually look at the news clippings, you'll see that the mayor had stopped construction on the um, water. Um, what are they called? The uh, walls to hold the water back. Levees. The levees. And so if you pay attention, you could piece together what the Riddler was actually going to do in the end. And. You know, so I think the film is beautifully done that you can watch it and still find things, Easter eggs to it. And the takeaway is it's a great film. They've done a great job of doing realism. And I love every aspect of it, especially his entrance at the end through the glass light was pretty awesome, too. Yeah, you uh, you admitted to me that you had a lady voter. I did have a lady voter for that part. That scene and this entire film was remarkable. I would say it's on par with the best Spider-Man movies, which is high praise for me. I think it, it was better than No Way Home. And I thought No Way Home was fine. This was a great movie. I can't wait to see what happens next time around. I'd love to do a show about No Way Home because I have my issues, even though I haven't seen the film. <laughs> you haven't seen it? You have movie. issues with it? <laughs> well, it's just like, <laughs> strange. What are you doing? Come on, man. It's like... <laughs> Is it because you hate Benedict Cumberbatch with a burning, fiery passion? That's part of it, but no. <laughs> Guys, I got so caught up in how great the Batman was that I thought I could actually be Batman. I swear to God, if this story has fireflies in it, you're fired. <laughs> no sparkly vampires. I oh. went to my local hardware store, bought some rope, made a grappling hook. It turns out not only do you need the Wayne Millions, but you have to actually be athletic, too. Long story short, I got halfway up my two-story house, the hook came loose, and I slammed down flat on my back. Now my back is killing me, and my ego is shattered. Do you guys know anybody that can help? Check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, climbing-related injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. <laughs> Next up, Tom Awesome's Top 5. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. For the Top 5 today, I'm going to turn it over to Phoenix for the Top 5 
film live-action portrayals of the caped crusader. Are you ready, love? You see I put live-action in there? Because usually if you do a Google search, the best people throw in Lego Batman of (laughs) their own three... And people put in the animated series, and it's like... Stop, 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 (laughs) stop, stop, stop. Lego Batman was funny. Lego Batman was fine. The Lego movie was a lot of fun, and Lego Batman was... That is not a portrayal of Batman. That is a caricature of a pop culture figure. That's what I thought, too, but everyone has... That's like saying Danny McBride is an adventurer in your highness. Like, it's just... (laughs) Oh my god! <laughs> no, just, people are like William Arnett is awesome as Batman in Lego. It's like, how can you rate him? So that's why I put. Could line. you also then like use Bat Dad from the YouTube videos as the best Bat Batman? That's true. You probably could. <laughs> sure, why not? Well, Feeny, this is your list. I'm glad you narrowed it down. I'll also point out that you used a sketchbook to outline your notes, and this is by far the stylish, most stylish notes we've ever had on the show. Thank you for bringing a touch of class and culture. Well, it's just. Girl was napping, just kind of doodling while I was thinking my thoughts, so, yeah. Well, awesome. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Number five. Well, I have to go with Val Kimmer from Batman Forever because nostalgia. He was the first Batman I saw in a live action. Um, you have a lot of nostalgia for this film overall. We just rewatched it. Yep. To put words in your mouth, we thought it was fine. We thought that yeah. the story was interesting enough. I hated the special effects. Yes. They were just really dated. <laughs> well, they're dated. Plus, to me, I felt like they're kind of homage to Adam West. And so... Yeah, it had a very Adam West feel. What specifically about Val Kilmer did you enjoy in his portrayal? I enjoyed his portrayal as Batman, even though he couldn't move very well. But... Um, and his portrayal of Bruce Wayne, because I thought he could he portrayed the two differently. Um, I enjoyed that they had a mystery and him and showing his smarts, he figured things out. Though it did take him a while to figure out who the Riddler was, I guess. But overall, which is silly because you know he had been face to face with those mannerisms yeah. slightly over the, the top. top. But yeah, you all right over there, big guy? What you what you doing? You need I'm, some? No, I'm just trying to do, tool? do a little adjustment here, making sure people can hear me when it's my turn to chime in. <laughs> do you have to give um, praise to Tommy Lee Jones for that film as Two Face? For man, someone you consider a very serious actor, a serious actor. I mean, in Men in Black, he did, but he was not over the top. He was just, you know, monotone type character. You know, oh, Casey's lighting up. <laughs> no, Here it comes. I, I, no, I don't care. Like, I, honestly, has Tommy Lee Jones off the top of your head? Can you think of a movie that he's been in where he's been bad? Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones is good in everything. I thought I The mean, Fugitive was really long. I haven't seen it in like 20 years. <laughs> it was but. long, but Tommy Lee Jones acted the crap out of that movie. I didn't so do it. No, I, he, <laughs> I don't care. He's good in everything. What's the name of that volcano movie? Because I was trying to was remember that because I watched that one. Volcano. Yeah, it's in L.A., I think the volcano or something. And I think Lava's it might have just been called up, Volcano. Up out of the streets. Oh, man. I watched that so many times. I can't remember. I can't think of it. But um, I have to say that he took that role and he made it his own and he was incredible. And I thought he was fantastic and playing up against Jim Carrey is hard. And I thought he did a beautiful job. And for anything, people should watch that film because... Of him because he's I enjoyed great. those two together, especially yeah. when they're both unhinged together. Like yes. uh, the banquet scene comes to mind mm-hmm. where Tommy Lee or Two Face comes in and ruins the Enigma's plans. Yes. I really struggled to say that, but I got it out. We're good. We're on track. <laughs> so I think, if anything, you know, 
Val Kilmer's great, but um, Tommy Lee Jones, I think, just to watch, to see him be Two-Face is just incredible. So, um, number four, this was a tough one between four and three, because I think if there was more films with Ben Affleck in it, I think he would move up the list more. Um, but watching the unlimited edition of Batman versus Superman you really get a um, better sense of Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne and as um, Batman and the transition between the two. And to cut you off again, when we watched the original theatrical version of it, I don't recall your impression, but I remember thinking Batman was mean. Batman was a bully in that film. I don't particularly he, like that portrayal. He was a bully, but I could understand why he was a bully because of the beginning sequence. I, you know, I guess I took to heart why he became a bully because of the beginning sequence of watching some Superman destroy the city and killing people. But yeah, with the unlimited edition, you, you get more of a sense of him and understanding him. And it's more to me, I can see the older Batman. You can see the more mentor Batman out of Ben Affleck. You can see him being the Batman that is to Dick Grayson, to Barbara Gordon where, like, you can't see that with Robert Patterson right now. He's just too young. Where this one, you can. And it was more realistic to me in the fight, too. He he punched way more than Bale did in his films. You know, he was in a lot more hand-to-hand combat in his fight scenes. And he didn't care about punching people out. He would keep punching. And that's what Batman is. He is gritty and punchy and goes for it and there's an interesting scene when you were talking about the bullets um and bringing up there's a scene where in the warehouse where he gets shot right in the back of the head and bounces off and he turns around just goes after the guy punching him really hard but you know and alfred too you know his his alfred was very pivotal to him and so i thought Zack Snyder did a great job of portraying Batman, and I I wish there was more to the more films with Ben Affleck because I thought he did great. I just I feel like he's becoming a punchline, like um, Batman Forever or George Clooney. He does too- not belong in that same conversation. No, he doesn't. He's you know. I'll I- say this for the opening of Batman versus Superman: the first hour of Batman versus Superman, at least the unlimited edition, is better than the first hour of Batman Begins, and it is not yeah. close. Yeah, it's it is a slow burn with Batman Begins. Oh, I got so bored at the beginning, <laughs> but um, it's just yeah. It's- that was mainly to antagonize Casey. I know, but to- <laughs> I have to say I-, I got bored with it. Um, and you know, he uses detective work and Ben Affleck's Batman, you can see him putting together Justice League where it's hard to see Christian Bale's Batman doing that or Robert Patterson at this point. So, so, um, one other quick note on Affleck, he had good comedic timing. He did. Like Batman's not supposed to be funny, but there were moments where, you know, Ben Affleck just provided a little bit of levity, like his scene with the flash was incredible and i do have to say ben affleck is a good actor especially the scene between him and clark kent at lex luther's mansion where he's playing the playboy he's playing drunk and he's talking to clark kent then all of a sudden clark kent challenges him about batman you see his eyes shift 
and his stature shift, and it's just, it's a great... And suddenly the rulers come out, and like, yeah. Casey and I have been there a thousand times. <laughs> it's just a great scene between the two of them. It's just... And, I'm Batman, you're Superman. And um, to see Ben Affleck's acting, the you know, from Bruce to Batman in that quick secession, you know, confronting Clark, so... Um, three, I would have to say Michael Keaton, because he is, to a lot of people, Batman... He's a certain, certainly a lot of people our generation and older. Yeah, and he is the classic Batman that you're used to from the animated series. The Batmobile is like the animated series. It is what we're used to as kids. He's sort of like the comic book Batman, but, you know, it is a little dated, but his Bruce Wayne was a little bit um, of a loner, and, you know, his Alfred wasn't, it was more of a butler than... A mechanic, uh, medic, and you know someone that helped him with the fighting. You know, so I'll say this about the first Keaton film: I did not appreciate it in its time. I think it came yeah, out in '89. No, I, I was eight years old. I hadn't seen it since I was an adult. Like there is a lot to appreciate with this film. You know, you have the iconic Batmobile in it. You have, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson as a Joker. So it's that film brought to you know. It brought superheroes to a national prominence. It did, and it brought it to a more realistic, darker tone, where Adam West did do a movie as Batman, but was like the traditional show he did. So where Keaton, it was more of a realistic, darker, grittier Batman. Casey, you're a lot older than us. Did you watch the Adam West movie? (laughs) I did not watch the Adam West movie. In the theater? But at that point, I think even the Superman movies prior to that were... Not very, I mean, they definitely weren't dark, but they were more, yeah. not, not not even campy is not a good word for it either, but it was definitely not something where when you watch the movie, you were like, I don't know, for me, like, as I watch them now, yes. I certainly like, oh, I want more of this. But like <laughs> that, that first Batman movie did really strike more of a chord for me. That's from the soundtrack to everything that went along with it. I thought it was a, a much better all around product than, than a lot of the superhero movies prior to that one in, in, in that time. Keaton is, you know, a lot of people say he's their Batman, but, you know, it's nostalgia too. You kind of have to bring those goggles in for some of the people. But well, Jack Nicholson was legitimately creepy as the he Joker. Was, like, really. he I did not appreciate like how scary he yeah. was in that role. He won an Academy Award for that performance. Really? He did. Yep. I mean, he's... he. I know I heard something that he called up Heath Ledger and talked to him and says, are you sure you want this role? Because he said that the Joker is a crazy, crazy character. And I guess he had trouble with the character. I remember someone it. else saying that like Heath Ledger shouldn't do it because like it's impossible to follow Jack Nicholson in a role. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he took it. <laughs> and the Olsen twins killed him. Yeah. Pouring out for our homie, Heath Ledger. But, I mean... It's a well done. Also, drugs are bad. <laughs> it's a well done film for its time, and it's you know they did what they could, and you can still watch it and enjoy it, and and you can still enjoy Keaton as Batman. And it'll be interesting to see him be Batman again in the Flash show that they're developing right now. So that'll be interesting to see. So yeah, that'll be an old Batman. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And then number two is Christian Bale. Um, course we watch batman begins you know we couldn't watch through all three films but because they're long films and there's only so much time in the day when you have two little ones <laughs> yeah you know 
with Christian Bale, you get more of a development with Batman. You get to see him develop from beginning to end when he decides to quit, you know. So you have more development versus Keaton, who only did two films. Ben Affleck, who only did two films, technically. But you have more development of the character of Bruce Wayne, too. Um, you have, you know, the iconic villains in the films, which you watch him fight, which was great. And you see a lot more of the hand-to-hand combat um, than you saw in Keaton's film. So I truly enjoyed it because you really got to see more of that type of realistic Batman versus Keaton's. Um, They were really good films. They were very well done. And, you know, they were trying to be realistic to the sense, but you still had a little bit of disbelief in some of the areas. You know, you couldn't... It wasn't completely realistic, but... um, well, number five, four, three, two are all set. That means that number one must be, could only be, there's only one option left, George Clooney. George Clooney is number one. Yay! No. Adam West. <laughs> um, honorable mention is Adam West. You, you know, I would have to give the, even though I haven't watched a lot of Adam West, you know, he is till, you know, the first Batman oh, on, gee. you know, TV and everything. <laughs> so, but. Don't ever so that, say the OG on my show again. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to say at this point, um, yes, number one is Robert Patterson at this point because he's true to the comics. He's true to the character because trying to read as much as I can right now, especially of the newer comics of Batman, um, he is he identifies himself so much as Batman versus Bruce Wayne. He prefers being Batman. He prefers, you know, being out in the dark and being hidden in the shadows and using fear. And when he is Bruce Wayne, it's it's something that he will do and he will use it as a tool, which I think they used in the film with Patterson. I mean, he didn't use Bruce Wayne as well as he could have, but he used that third persona, um, the ninja, the individual, where he could hide himself. And so when he enters the club, he enters the first time in um, the Penguins Club, he was the Batman. The second time he was Bruce Wayne. The third time he was the the unknown, the nobody, the ninja. He snuck in, if you remember. He turned off all the lights. So he uses his ability to hide and he uses all the tools he has, which the comics use. And in the comics, he does do what like Sherlock does. He goes as a nobody into the criminal world to get more information and to hide himself into the gangs and stuff. So I thought they did a good job with that, you know, and we got to see Batman learning more the, it, as the detective, as a character, as, you know, everything. And you, the fighting too, you get to see him. I mean, the introduction at the beginning, when he walks out of the shadows, he just, goes at the dude just punch 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 down and you know he takes a taser and it didn't affect him so and later in the film when he takes the electrical he knew that he could take that electrical i didn't put that together nice catch yeah he um was able to he knew in his mind he could technically handle that electrical um cord when he went after it so you know he learns quickly and he um figures things out and he molds to the situation, which I think Batman does in the comics. So I had a hard time with Bale 
in the third film. He just didn't seem to want to be Batman anymore. Where in the comics, he wants to stay being Batman. He just doesn't want to be Bruce anymore. He wants to stay being Batman. And, yeah. and Alfred has to keep reminding him to. You can't do it all the time. So, so, so it'll be interesting. So again, I have to say I enjoy Robert. He's gonna—he's number one for me because the tech, the homemade, everything. smashing in the window in that one scene. Well, and is there anybody who looks as good as him in a bat suit? Like honestly, the, yeah. Like, the, the, like there's one scene with Catwoman and 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 batman and they're yeah. up on that kind of rooftop or, or terrace or whatever it was and you just kind of see their profiles and i was like yeah Damn. it looks nice. <laughs> like that, just the face and like the way that his chin was like i'm like that's what that he's is supposed a to man look like. right there yeah, that's batman that's what a bat, that's what he's supposed to look like yeah. that's like when you see him in comics that's what he's supposed to look like and i was like huh yeah he really pulled this off like this is yeah a role that he was no, meant to do i agree i think it, christian bale was still a little stiff in his i think his suit still at times and he did that stupid thing with his voice yeah that's what? true what are you talking line? about where patterson i think he didn't even disguise his voice at all i know ben affleck used a, a voice modulator um, a modulator to hide his voice but i do you remember the movie last night I found it very fascinating that the scene with him, he stuck up on the corner of the ceiling, Ben Affleck's Batman. And the way he moved, it, it's like the comic books. He moved across the... Yeah, he roof. crawled across the ceiling like he was he, possessed by a demon. Yeah, it's just like... <laughs> so it's, you know, again, going back to Ben Affleck, it's just... If you watch the full cut, it's just... Zack Schneider was trying to capture that full... Uh, what Batman is at that time when he's older. And so... And so, but I thought that was a cool scene of him in the corner. All of a sudden, he's darting out. Yeah, so. it was very comic booky. Casey, do you have any rebuttals or issues with the list? No, I think she nailed it. Uh, honestly, that if I was to put together a list, that is the exact order that I would have them in. So, uh-huh. nailed it, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah, the same as Casey. How does that feel? Awesome. <laughs> oh, that was a kind of response that I'd have. <laughs> what did we miss? Tweet your thoughts at Tom Sidlogic. Oh, I oh. Next, we're going to bring in friend of the show, Dr. Camille, to talk about ergonomics. And now we welcome in friend of the show, Dr. Kelsey Camille from Premier Health in Coon Rapids. Welcome, Dr. Camille. Thank you. Today, you're going to be telling us about proper ergonomics for a PC gaming setup. Absolutely. So one of the big things that is really important when it comes to gaming at PCs is making sure that you are able to have your setup at your PC ergonomically consistent for your body because everybody's body is going to be different. So you want to make sure that your chair is actually going to have some really good support for your low back. Um, They have really great gaming chairs now, so it's an excuse to invest in a really nice um, gaming chair. And The next thing you want to do is make sure that your desk is set up so that your keyboard and mouse are going to be as close to your waist height as possible. Why is it important to have it lower and closer to your waist? It's important to have your keyboard and mouse as close to your waist as possible so that you're not raising your arms um, to do a lot of your typing and your mousing. Um, The more you raise your arms, the more you're moving your shoulders, even though it doesn't feel like it, but that's going to lead to a lot of tension in the shoulders and it can lead to neck pain and headaches. Um, with that though, you want to make sure you've got a good riser for your mat, 
for your monitor so that you're not actually building up any extra attention in the neck by having to look down or look over from side to side. I assume that anyone that listens to this podcast has seen the Make Love Not Warcraft episode of South Park. Why is it important to have proper posture when sitting in your chair and not just be reclined back as comfortably as possible? As ideal as that position does look... Um, when you are having or when you are maintaining a proper posture as you are gaming, it's actually going to increase the time you can spend gaming because um, having poor posture while gaming is going to increase your um, uh, low back pain. It's going to increase your neck pain. It's going to increase your overall discomfort, which is going to decrease the amount of time you're going to be able to comfortably spend gaming. Um, and it's going to be increasing the time you're just going to rage overall. So uh, you want to be able to maximize your experience while you're gaming. On behalf of the entire PC Master Race, thank you so much for this valuable advice. If you'd like to learn more, you can book an appointment with Dr. Camille at Premier Health in Coon Rapids. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. For our final segment today, we're going to cover Batman, the animated series Gotham Under Siege board game. This game released in 2018. Oh, God, I should have practiced these names, but here we go. Buckle up, kids. Designed by Michael Gugliano and Richard. <laughs> I'm fairly sure it's not that. <laughs> well, G-U-I-G-L-I-A-N-O. It, it looks like Gugliano to me, I'd my friend. I'd say Giuliano. Ju- Heck, there's no way it's Tom Gugliano. Gugliano. No, that's totally a Gugliano type I think name. that G is silent. No. No. The G is never silent at this start. Is the next one Richard Lainus? <laughs> sure, and Richard Lainus. Known for doing many cooperative games, including Arkham Horror. This game has a Board Game Geek reading of 7.2. We have certainly reviewed worse games on this show. In Batman, the animated series Gotham Under Siege, one to five players work together to stop villains from blowing up the city. Heroes control Batman, Robin, Batgirl, Catwoman, and Commissioner Gordon against a litany of iconic villains from the animated show. The game is played over four acts. Each act you draw one of three act cards that will set the stage for that scene. It will tell you how many story cards you draw, how many villains are on the board, and how many masterminds you fight. Each story card has certain dice combinations you need to overcome. You might need two sixes or three ones or another combination of dice. Story cards can have negative effects when they come into play, effects that continue until they are overcome, and or negative abilities if they aren't overcome by the end of the round. Each act players get a special ability card and four dice. Players will shake their four dice and any bonus dice, assign one of them to story cards or their character abilities, and then re-roll all the remaining dice until everyone has assigned all of their dice. Once all the dice are assigned, any remaining villains and masterminds have an opportunity to attack the city. On an odd roll of a six-sided die, they destroy a building and you resolve the negative effects for that block, usually losing civilians or lowering the bomb tracker. If either of those tracks hit zero, the heroes lose. Heroes win if they overcome all four acts without the civilian or the bomb trackers hitting zero. It's always hard to like explain the totality of what a board game can be in this audio format because I don't want to talk for 17 minutes. I don't want to get bogged down in too many details. But basically, you take a hero, you're fighting a bunch of villains and uh, using dice to try to thwart evil plans. Casey, let's start with you. What were your initial impressions of this game? 
initially it was a little confusing. There were so many options on how to spend your dice rolls that initially it was hard for me to figure out what the best strategy would be. It's overwhelming. Literally everything you can do is on the table all at once. You just have to hope that your dice cooperate with what you want to plan for. Our first time playing, that was a lot to process. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Phoenix, you came in on our second game of Gotham Under Siege. What was your first thought when you saw us all mid-act, just throwing dice, putting them all over, barely communicating with each other? (laughs) (laughs) A lot to process. It was. um, You know, I... And you play a fair amount of board games with me, but I don't know if we played many games like this where you're rolling and assigning so many die. Uh, Yes and no. I think there might have been one game that we played. I can't think of it, but... um... Well, there is the uh, Thanos Rising game. Yeah, there's that game, which I think is the one I'm thinking of. But, you know, you guys play so much board games, so much variety. Oh, Casey doesn't play games. He's never played a game before this. (laughs) (laughs) Video games especially. (laughs) So, I mean, from my perspective, being a noob in ways, um, it was very, very overwhelming and confusing. And I was lost. And, and the good news is I was half buzzed when you came in yes. <laughs> and uh, already frustrated with Casey. So, like, you got a great onboarding experience, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, it's just interesting. You guys are trying to figure it out. And here's Jake like, ooh, I can do this, 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 and this. And it's like, wow, Jake's really got this down for some reason. <laughs> See, I don't think we're going into this, but I think we were stretching some of the, th- the rules. Like, I don't think we were necessarily – I think – the attack portion that I was trying to, to get was ended up being correct. However, <laughs> I think that we did some things wrong, especially in the first thing on who you were actually allowed to attack, like which the definition of a villain is versus like certain things. So like, I think there were times where we were clearing certain stacks where we weren't actually allowed to do that because we had to clear either with the lower numbers first or we had to take out, like, there were times where we were re- removing the masterminds, and I don't think we could actually attack the masterminds before we removed the lower people first, because we didn't really pay attention to the fine language on the mastermind cards. Well, being the one responsible for teaching us this game, I disagree with you wholeheartedly, <laughs> and I say we followed every uh, rule to the letter of the law. The letter of the law. <laughs> but all seriously, how long did it take for this game to click? For I think that by the end of the second... By the end of the second act in our first game, I felt like it was going smoothly enough for us. Like, it took us about an act to work out the kinks. Yeah, I think actually, like, halfway through the first act, I got a much better grasp on... Oh, yeah, well, I got it a quarter of the way through. (laughs) (laughs) The rules we didn't have right. I'm going to say that. (laughs) However, just the the mechanics on how things work. For that first turn, it's super overwhelming, like we said. But... As you do on your like third, fourth turn in that first act, you have a pretty general idea of how to attack, how to assign the die, what your goals are actually going to be, and how you plan on attacking that specific scenario. And I think that's something that initially it's it's hard to grasp, but as you start putting dice down on cards and seeing what they actually do and then reading some of the fine print on there, it becomes a lot more obvious very shortly into the game. And it takes a little time to get familiar with your specific character, just what you can do, and then trying to accommodate for everything else that's going on in the game, even when the rules are spelled out meticulously well. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the characters that we use and what our strategies were. I was the Batman. I basically stayed in one place and punched bad guys. 
swell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was Commissioner Gordon. He was a pretty well-rounded character. I uh, had a lot of good options for clearing villains on the map. Most of the time, that's what I focused on. There was one player card that I had that also allowed me to deal damage to villains when I put one of my dice on an act card as well, which was a great added bonus for that character. So when that came up, it was I was pretty confident we were going to do pretty well. I think Robin had your brother. Robin, Robin had an Robin, amazing Robin one. Had some really good abilities too on his player cards. Robin had an ability where anytime any player put a die on a story card, which there are a lot of dice being committed to these story cards because otherwise your city's getting blown all to pieces at the end of the act. Robin had an ability card that would allow him to roll a die, and if it matched an open space for many of the story cards, he could assist with that. And basically, it gave us a bunch of free die that we could put up on those story cards to help clear them, and that was critical for us in this game yeah extra dice is very good we learned that yes. quickly yes right. we did <laughs> feeny who did you play as i chose batgirl because i love batgirl so also you got the leftovers your choices were batgirl or catwoman yeah, yeah so i chose batgirl so but um you know it took me almost till act three to really fully understand the mechanics with the dice to know how to what we're doing to place it and stuff as far as her abilities, I was still kind of struggling as far as what was her strengths. You know, being up on the roof, she had some strengths, but um, meticulous on when you're going to use them because it was a one-time shot thing. So, And to set that up just a little bit, there are four battlegrounds on the board. There's You set up a three-by-three three grid of buildings in the middle of the table, and then each cardinal direction around that city is considered a battleground, north, south, east, and west. And at the start of the game, each character chooses which battleground they're going to start on, and then you have different abilities that allow you to move. If you move up into the city on that three-by-three three grid, you can attack out to all of the different areas, which gives you a lot more... Uh, flexibility and how you're going to attack the villains. The downside is you can't do a heroic action to try to keep them from blowing up the buildings at yeah. the end of the round. Well, and that's the thing. It's like the movement was the part that was tripping me up a lot was, you know, the car that tells you what to do to, you know, for movement stuff. So I, for a noob, it was, I was having a hard time with her character as far as her um, abilities. I got immediately what we needed to do for the stories to put the dice on to try to take out these certain effects and stuff. But And that's where a lot of my focus was, too. I was rolling remarkably hot in this game. I had so many sixes. And so I a lot of the story cards require fives or sixes. And so I was spending a lot of my dice up there and spending a lot more time trying to clear story cards rather than fighting villains. And that's what's interesting about this game is um, because Batgirl has an interesting mechanic. If you know this game, you, can, you have to draw a story from three... Yeah, each options. act you draw one of three act cards, and that sets the stage. And each act card has a character, and one of them is the Joker. And depending on how many players you have, it tells you how many um, villains to put out, how many masterminds, how many story cards. So it could be much more story card focused where you need a lot of dice, or it could be a lot more villains where you need to uh, spend a lot more of your resources on attacking. Yes, and... With Batgirl, she has one ability where you can, if you know that act um, is gonna, is really bad, you can switch it for another <clears throat> one. And we found out that one of the act cards had like 16 masterminds or something that you had to lay out. And it's like, whoa, let's, let's switch this one out. So, so I 
you know. That's have... a very hard position for a new player to be in. Yeah. I feel like if we had played this game a few times and had a better feel for which acts were good, which acts were bad, if we're set up more for story missions, if we're set up more for fighting, you're in a very unforgiving position as a first-time player choosing whether or not to use that ability. And that's okay, but it, it just, you can sort of see at, um, what how those act cards can help make the game different each time you play it and that's what's kind of interesting about the the game itself so i agree a couple more notes on the batman each character has a special ability that they can use twice per game for batman it's batarangs it removes the highest level foe off of each of the four battlefields i in typical tom fashion burn that pretty early say oh cool there's a mastermind in each one batarangs bing 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 all gone and uh, it would have been very helpful to have that ability in the last act when we had just a boatload of masterminds. So, yeah. Well, shoot. But another thing, inexperience with the game. Like, I didn't know when yeah. the optimal time to use my special ability was. Well, and you could have gotten that special ability back, but there were times in that game, too, where you gave Jake, I think, his special ability, and I think you gave me mine back, but you unselfishly... Yeah, with other people instead of for you, for yourself, Tom. Very untypical of Tom. I must have had quite a few whiskeys that night. <laughs> it's a wild turkey. <laughs> I felt very limited in this game because I wasn't getting any bonus dice. I had my four bat dice, um, and different people were getting different bonus dice. Batman doesn't seem to draw very many bonus dice. And so I'd have my four dice, I'd roll a bunch of sixes, and I was like, oh, well, story cards are committed, punched like one bad guy, and everyone else is still rolling their bonus dice. So I... It was unfortunate that, like, I just felt hampered. I couldn't do a lot. Yeah, watching you, you, it seemed like Batman was a little bit more hampered, which I guess to create a balance in the game, you kind of have to make your strongest character be somewhat hampered. I will say he has an interesting ability. If you roll a one, he can move to a different battlefield, take out the take out a mastermind there, and like eliminate a whole bunch of villains. The problem is I just rolled too good all night. I didn't roll a one like ever. Um, I can never use that sweet ability. Okay. Yeah, it is interesting how they put the precedence on sixes, and because your odds of rolling a one are the same as rolling a six or sure. you know, anything on a die. It's a, you're, was, you're just placing one single die, so your odds are the same. And it was especially prevalent on villain cards, and then they'd stack yeah. it with effects like uh, the Joker and I think maybe the Riddler had one that would make you re-roll sixes. So like you need two sixes to clear this card. You roll sixes, and it's like, oh, crap, my sixes, I have to re-roll, or I flip them to a one. And so you have to use another tool, the bat signal, to modify your other dice to try to clear those off so that you can keep your rolls. And the interesting thing about this game is that there's different acts, but um, where you end up on the board, you stay for the next act. And sort of a lot of pieces carry over sometimes. And sometimes the story cards. I'm not and, absolutely 100% sure that we did that part right. Oh, I'm, well, But that was Casey's influence, so. No, we'll, <laughs> it'll be interesting to play it again because I thought it, there were some story cards that we had to um, fill with die so that they didn't carry over, their effects didn't carry over into the next act. And so that mechanic is interesting if it's just a one-player game or two-player game to try to fill all those story cards with dice would be interesting. So True. There are also some story cards that gave you benefits. Like there's one mm -hmm. where you can... Uh, turn on the bat signal and that gives you a couple more tokens to modify your die rolls there's also other ones that would set you up for more success in future rounds i struggle with the example but there's an act three story card that would have greatly helped us in act four if we had uh completed it but we didn't manage to cross that one off one gave us bonus die which i remember we did complete yeah. so two people 
got bonus die, and we rolled to see who would get them. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different interesting mechanics that, you know, it would be interesting to play it again and also play with less people or more people to see how it works. So. I agree. What were the highlights of this experience? I really enjoyed the core mechanic of rolling the dice and committing them to the cards. Like, I like rolling dice. I like the mechanic of spending your die to strategically to try to accomplish different things. I thought that was super satisfying. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, dice games are fun. I think this this really well-made co-op game with a fairly minimal setup. I think the, initially it's probably a lot, but once you do it a few times, I think it would be less and less of a hassle. Uh, and it's a pretty quick game. Um, you can get a scenario done or an act done in, what, 30... 40 minutes, something like that, uh, once you well, get the hang of it. 30 minutes to an act, that's still a two-hour game. Right, and I guess you could, I don't know, you could break it up if you really wanted to, but I don't know who would. But really, it's not that that bad. Um, and after you get the basic grasp of the rules and do a few playthroughs, it's to me, it was really streamlined experience. Phoenix, you love both Batman and co-op games. Did this scratch an itch for you, or is it something that we'll leave in the closet more often than not? Um, I think it'll just take a couple more playthroughs and doing them more frequently so I can remember them. But Would it be better or worse if Casey didn't play? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You can answer honestly. We're all friends here. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But it's, it's a co-op game which I enjoy because then I can help. It helps me to figure out how to play a game. For me to learn, I need to play the game. And if we're playing a game where it's like I'm in competition with you, it's harder for me to learn. So for me, and there's a lot of directions on the card, so it was overwhelming. But to play it again, and it will come easier. It just, it Casey, just takes you know more times to play it. So. Casey, I like to poke a lot of fun at you, but we do play a lot of games together. What is your general feeling towards cooperative games? Do you enjoy cooperative games, or do you like a more competitive uh, head-to-head type of board game? I enjoy both types, but I would say that overall, I like cooperative games. I think it's there's just something about playing with your friends versus... And working together to overcome something yeah i it's it's something that i that i definitely do enjoy it's kind of a you know when we have our long gaming weekends and we're just kind of like chucking dice and beating each other up there's something about when we pull out the co-op game that it's just it's fun um even the ones where are like they're mostly co-op and then there's the hidden trader games. Hidden traders, stuff mm-hmm. like that like i know certain aspects of those you don't like tom because most of the time people think you're the hidden trader for some reason however <laughs> Even when it's statistically <laughs> unlikely <laughs> however those are, are still very fun and and i definitely seem to enjoy those i think generally more than the than the not single player but where you're just bashing against each other whole time fascinating for me it depends on who i'm playing with because i like i like a wide variety of games and there are times when i like to go head to head like i like going up against the rogue hippo like i like testing my wins against patrick because i feel like he's a worthy adversary uh read into that what you will about yourself (laughs) when i play when i I almost had it (laughs) when i'm playing with phoenix i want a different experience like i like playing things with phoenix because like we don't need to compete with each other like we enjoy having a shared experience so you know it depends on who i'm playing with i like i tend to like cooperative games a lot yeah i can definitely see that and especially like for me too at home if i'm going to play a game with my family it is a lot more fun i think 
um, if I'm playing a cooperative game with with my boys and my wife versus trying to go against them, especially with some of the games, you know, if they're a little bit more confusing with rules and things like that, having somebody who's more familiar with them try to guide them through it, it, it makes it for a lot more enjoyable experience. Well, I know your perfect game is dice, but I wish I could figure out the term for it, but you love like wingspan where you have to I love engine building. Engine, engine building, building yeah. games. Yeah, yes. so like Scythe is re- Scythe is probably my favorite board game. Well, what is like um, Thunderstone? Because Thunderstone is a deck building game, but it's similar. Like your deck yeah. is basically your engine. There, yeah. I I very much like things where you can craft the experience to whatever play style you want. Like I, I tend to be good at spotting efficiencies, and yes, I tend to be do. good at spotting them like this. You like Casey, do. I know that you like a more deep, slow, methodical processing of data. For me, I can generally scan something, pick out what I need to pick out, and then move forward from there. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. No, it's just interesting. I was just thinking about it. It's just you like that style of game. Yeah, because yeah, so. I win a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what mechanics of this game did we struggle with? Casey, I I know we're going to get into it here, but I thought the biggest struggle was with the rule book. The rule book. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think in the beginning I said it was very confusing and then certain things were I mean that first scenario or the first I don't remember is it a scenario or act what's it what's the, the main is it an act, that act. the main act There's so four the first, acts. The first yeah. act um we breezed through pretty easily and again I think it was because we didn't do some things right but then when we restarted the second time things weren't going as well and I think a lot of it was because in that first act we were at least I know I wasn't <laughs> attacking right where, or I was attacking right, but I don't think other people in our party were. So the, the rule book was extremely Why'd you look vague. at me when you said that? <laughs> because, well, not that we had it out, but like I was trying to, con- because we had a disagreement yeah, yeah. on an interpretation for yes. the rule book. You're, you're only allotted so many dice in this game. You have four player die to start with. And on every single battle zone, there are usually four bad guys. So there's your mastermind and then there's, a thug and then a ninja and then something else i forget so there's there's four and then you have like i said four battle zones so if you have any chance of winning this game you have to pretty much effectively clear out every single bad guy in all the zones and then that still leaves all the different act cards that you have to fill up so my biggest gripe was in the beginning we were when we were attacking we were only Attacking or, a single or, stack yeah, in each battle Eventually, round. we ended up only attacking a single stack and not letting the damage spill over to the other stacks. And I think if we would have kept doing that, it would have been absolutely impossible to win because you would have been allocating and using up all your dice on this one single stack. And then you would have... There's just no way I don't think that you could have ended up, even with bonus dice and other things, been able to clear those guys out. We'd have been blowing up buildings left and right. Well, we'll never know now, will we, Casey? Well, you can try playing it your way and see what happens, but I'm pretty sure you're going to lose every single time. So the rule book was extremely vague, and we and we looked up, and I tried watching some YouTube videos and stuff like that. And eventually, we did play it the way that I thought it was going to play, and we still almost lost. We lost, or we we won, but we won because we got had lucky. And yeah, one <laughs> had one one roll. If I would have rolled something else, we would have lost, right? Or was it the other way around? I forget what it was, but either way, we were basically one building blowing up away from from losing this game even playing it the way that i thought we were supposed to be playing it 
we were fairly close. And the issue with the rule book was they give some examples of how combat works, but in their scenarios, like the math worked out just perfectly for them yeah. to only attack one sack. And it was very yeah. confusing for us. It would have been really helpful just to have one example that wasn't so clean cut. Yeah. I do six damage. You can take out this stack of six people. It's like, great. What if there's six or what if there's four and two? Can I kill them both? We don't know. We have no it's idea. extremely vague. Um, but most of the time, I wish it was four and two. Most of the time, we had stacks of like eight and six. And so, I don't know. It was it was very confusing. I think we ended up playing it right. Um, I know for sure that first time around two, we did not notice that certain masterminds had special like abilities. So... One of them I know is that you have to attack all the villains first before you're able to take out that person. So I don't know if your battering would have even been able to take that person out. I was pretty particular in my battering use. I was on top of those rules. I don't think Jake was necessarily aware of them, but yeah. you know, there's especially with my brother, like I there's kind of kid gloves because he doesn't play a lot of more hardcore board games. So I let him do his thing for the most part and tried to interject when there's something egregious. I think for my part, I was aware of a lot of those mastermind things. So, uh, suck on that. Sure. That's why we didn't add any additional villains the first time they came out. Uh, I was explaining the rules to Phoenix, and I trusted you and Jake to handle that. <laughs> that was a good cover. I will say, we were a little goosey with the exact order of operations. Yeah. Um, and where that became an issue was you're supposed to choose your hero special ability cards before you draw the act card. So, you kind of have your loadout set before you know exactly what you're facing the way we played it like we we were doing everything simultaneously so like we're setting up the act card we're putting out all the villains we're putting all all the masterminds we're still looking at our two ability cards like oh there's a crap load of villains out there maybe i should take this melee combat one a little bit and i think that is one area where we could clean things up a little bit yeah for sure that that definitely makes a lot of sense and I guess it makes it a little harder for you too if you choose a card that you know, like uh, Jake's ability with the bonus die or putting that die on the card that wasn't one of our hero dies. You know, he chose that in the wrong act, then we're kind of SOL in the next act if we needed it. So And uh, Batgirl can kind of mitigate that, but all being new players and with it's, so much overwhelming yeah. stuff, it's hard to know all those synergies because like we didn't necessarily talk a lot about what our special ability cards were. It's like, oh, I chose this one. I get to do this thing. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Here's my, <laughs> what my card says. And I'm not paying attention because I'm looking at <laughs> what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's interesting with like co-op games like this, you know, like pandemic is so well done where you're going up against the game and it's designed so beautifully that it's just, you know, most of the time the game wins. You, it's hard to beat it. Where especially this, when Casey plays. <laughs> where this game will be interesting when we play it more and more. Is it just knowing everything better that will end up being in it more, or is there some element in the cards in the games that we don't realize, like Pandemic, that it is hard to beat at times? So. Sure. Well, kind of pulling on that thread, Casey, what do you think the replayability of this game is going to be? I'm really not sure how much replayability this game has, uh, as the act cards are all the same, with just the very differences being the number of scenario cards, villains, and masterminds that, that are that are placed. Well, there's three act cards for each of the four acts, so there's 12 total act cards that you could play. There's different. There's a deck of story cards for each act, so the story cards for act one is different from act two, is different from act three, although there are some cards that are very, very similar. So I think 
there's potential for replayability, but I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. I don't know how many how, how long this game's legs will be. I'm excited to play it again. I want to play as the other characters. I want to play with Phoenix with the other characters, and I see this game kind of fitting a role for us when we like have another couple over or someone else that's interested in playing a cooperative game i feel like once we master this and like we have all the ins and outs and the nuance down i feel like this can be something that we share with other people i think that's kind of the niche that this game is going to end up falling into for us we'll need people that start have an idea of games because it's going to be overwhelming yeah okay so that's never going to happen so you think uh pat and aj are ever going to play this with us <laughs> oh joey <laughs> I'm not sure you couldn't teach this to people who aren't like it, it's at its root. It's actually a pretty simple game, I think, especially as a co-op. You know, if you had to control your character individually without the input of other people, it would be a lot harder. But for people who don't <laughs> don't don't play a lot of games, I think if you guys were helping them along, they'd be able to pick it up pretty easily. And I think as far again to the replayability aspect of it, I do think there is something about wanting to go back play the other characters i would i would love to do that as well but i think once you play through these different scenarios and you're getting the same cards and stuff like that it's it's just going to be kind of the same experience over and over again it'd be interesting to know how playing this four times in a row back to back to back would stack up against the cowboy bebop deck builder back to back which i think was a very fun game and had a lot of style and i liked a lot about it but playing it four times in a row was too much uh, I think because Cowboy Bebop, the board game, it's very similar. I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of uh, variability or variety to it where I think Batman could be with the story cards. But again, there's only so many cards there is so many cards to the story cards. So once you file through them, it could become redundant. So, yeah, well, it's an interesting game. Uh, I'm certainly excited to play it again sometime. I'll also say it's hard to pick up all the nuance of the game and teach it to others at the same time. Like, this was also my first time playing it, and I'm trying to teach it to you, Casey. You play a lot of games. I was trying to teach it to my brother, who doesn't play a lot of games, and then I was trying to teach it to Phoenix when she came in after our first couple-act playthrough, and it was just it was very hard for me to completely immerse myself in the game when I was trying to be aware of what you guys were doing, what you might be struggling with, and how I could help. Yeah, um, I think despite all of that and some of the wonkiness and stuff like, I think if you are a fan of board games, uh, if you're a fan of Batman and especially the animated series, I think this is a game that you should go out and buy. I, it's it is fun, especially yeah. probably the first I don't know four to five times you play through it. Once you play every single character and play through it a few times, it might get a little stale. But first time I I had fun, even if we played it potentially wrong mostly right mostly right <laughs> mostly yeah, right yeah, i'll agree mostly right i do think you're gonna need someone to shepherd that first experience though like someone that's committed to trying to pick up the nuance we would have been much better served if i'd played through a couple of playthroughs at least on my own before we gathered as a group possibly but sometimes you know having more people looking at it and figuring it out together is beneficial too so yeah well casey's right it's a fun game it is. It's fun, and it's nice to have a game that's with a um, Batman theme, especially the animated series. You know, there's not too many Batman board games out there. I know there's the DC Legends deck-building card game, which I think you've played once. Yeah, i played it a few times. I'm not a big fan of it. And then I know there is the... Uh, is it Talisman got a Batman skin? No, mm -hmm. Descent. 
No, it's, um, I, well, there's that one, which I wouldn't mind trying that one. That would be fun. But uh, the Thanos game, they did the Joker. I can't remember what that Joker is, but um, they did it with the Joker skin. That bizarre storyline with the Joker. I can't remember what the name is. Yeah, the art style kind of turned me off on it. Is that why you didn't want to get it? Yeah. yeah. The Joker's fine as a villain. I'm not interested in the Joker as a central character or something. Well, it'll be interesting to see what it's the cards are like and stuff, but it'll be fascinating. But yeah, well, this is episode forty-seven of Outside is Overrated. Forty-seven shows, love, and we finally tackled one of your favorite characters in the Batman. In a span of roughly six shows, we're tackling Cowboy Bebop, or we tackled Cowboy Bebop. We tackled the Batman, and Sherlock is coming up for our fiftieth episode. Yeah. This year is like a love letter to you. Ah. <laughs> thank you it is so fun to have you here on the show casey thank you for joining us as well do you guys have any other thoughts on batman the batman the board game any other bat related topics before we fly out of here like a bat <laughs> uh you know it go see the batman it's great it's realistic um it has the thrill of mysteries it's suspense I heard it was supposed to be horror-like, so I was worried I wasn't going to be able to watch most of it, but it wasn't. I don't know why people use the word horror to it. It had some Saw aspect, if you've seen the Saw movies. Like, just the the traps, if you will, that he was using were kind of similar, but yeah, I... I took my 10-year-old to it. I have no regrets. Um, (laughs) There were two swear words in it. Uh, Other than that, like... I wouldn't call it a horror movie. The no. 74 Metacritic or whatever it was is way too low. It is, yeah. <laughs> it was. 72. Yeah. I think that I love this movie, but I would caution people that are just like casual fans of the MCU. Like if you like Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and all the oh, cool yeah. stuff happening in Marvel, yeah. this is not for you. It's like, way different. This is a detective story. Like mm-hmm. if you're not interested in a mystery and a slow burn and the story slowly being revealed, like the layers of an onion, like you're not going to particularly enjoy this film this was a film for me absolutely i loved it but i just i warn people that are maybe casual superhero fans uh maybe not your cup of tea no yeah definitely not and you know it's it's nice to see it a batman film coming out doing well looking realistic after you know it being the butt of jokes with a lot of people for superhero movies it's nice to have a different refresh look of it. And I'm a lover of the, you know, the DC animated movies that they put out. And, you know, they do so well with the animated movies. I know a lot of people don't watch them, but they're great. So it's nice to see a film that is taking a refresh look of it and trying to get people back into this DC world, if it's not quite DC world, but one of its characters, so... Well said. Well said. Next month, Joey and Brian will be here for Horizon Forbidden West. We'll break down the hot new PS5 exclusive as well as the Horizon Zero Dawn board game. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Phoenix and Casey, I'm Thompson Logic at Thompson Logic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. You will support this Patreon and I will build the city to the ground.
more on the mic or um I almost say ejaculating a little more <laughs> Oh, that'll be a good one for the end. You should check out Premier Health. They have solutions for <laughs> You can see the actor in you there, Casey. <laughs> At Lainus. <laughs> I've always had a sweaty latinus. <clears throat> it's like the first part of me to get sweaty. Weird.